It's called Frozen Out of Time. Oh. Now, quickly, Chris, what do you think Frozen Out of Time is about? If it's about a fucking caveman that they defrost, I'm just going to flip my nut. Frozen Out of Time, this is episode 13, Mitch defrosts a 900-year-old Viking. I'm out! <laughs> <laughs> and has to fight him on the streets. Hello and welcome to Sabrina the Teenage Watch Extra Credit, the spin-off podcast where we come together, we steer away from the usual curriculum and we talk about something slightly different. So in this, as it suggests, we're not strictly going to be talking about Sabrina the Teenage Watch, we're going to be talking about something loosely, and that is the key word here, loosely uh, based on something we've talked about or something that's featured in the show. Before we get into that, I might as well introduce everybody involved. My name is Phil Dean. I'm your host and your guide through this um, peculiar journey we're about to take. Uh, To my left is my uh, colleague, Mr. Graham Riley. Hello, Graham. Hello, Phil. How are you? Um, I'm fine. I'm cautiously optimistic as to what uh, we're about to um, absorb. Baywatch Nights has very, very little to do with Sabrina, but the second we heard about it, we couldn't just let it be. Exactly. So Graham has announced that we are doing a Baywatch Nights, and uh, Chris Evans is the man to my right. Chris Evans, are you excited about this this show. <laughs> I wouldn't categorise it as excitement. More, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, breaking tradition that we normally do with this show is we watch the episodes and we then talk about them. However, neither of my colleagues have watched this yet because I want to talk about the show and reveal like the plot of, of each episode before we watch it, just to get their reactions because if you know anything about Baywatch Nights, you will know that this show is fucking ludicrous. And these episodes that I've selected really, really uh, encapsulate exactly what that word means. So, Graeme, you brought it to our attention originally in the most basic way. Inform us what Baywatch Nights is vaguely all about. Well, I believe it is that uh, Mitch Buchanan, uh, David Hasselhoff uh, from the original Baywatch series, uh, has quit lifeguarding to become a detective of sorts, is that correct? (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. And as uh, time goes on, I guess because he's such a good detective, he solved all the terrestrial cases. Things get extraterrestrial. Yeah, they do. So, it's like... Shit, Night Rider. Well, we talked about Night Rider at the time. I think it is, yeah, sort of like the meeting point between the two classic Hasselhoff series. Yeah, it's kind of like how I'd summarize it is: you've got X Files, Mulder and Scully. Mm. They get the big cases, <laughs> the dregs that come in. Mitch Buchanan gets, and he goes out and sorts it out. <laughs> so, as a spin-off of Baywatch, it was actually supposed to be called. Well, David Hasselhoff wanted it to be called Santa Monica Night. But the uh, the TV state network thought if they tied in with Baywatch, it would get more viewers and a bit more push behind it. Do you want to have a guess how that went? 
terribly. <laughs> yes, exactly right, Chris. It, it really didn't help. Um, so the first season was it followed around a recurring police detective from uh, the original Baywatch. Apparently he had a midlife crisis and decided to leave the police force and fund his own detective agency, which has got to be more stressful and would add fuel to his midlife crisis, really. Then again, you do get to be your own boss. You don't have that chief, do you? You don't have that chief telling you to do things by the book. So I can understand why he'd want want to go rogue. Yeah, that's true. And he, uh, obviously, it was a one-man team, so he invited Mitch. So Mitch sort of did part-time police detective work as well, on the side of being a lifeguard as, you know... There's plenty of Baywatch babes on the go, so maybe Mitch can, uh, you know, decrease his hours a little bit. What crossover skills from lifeguarding could Mitch apply to detective work? Oh, I've got this. Saving lives. Well, that's true. The first series started off as just your regular average Joe police detective show. Uh, However, due to flagging numbers and the ratings just being uh, crap, they decided to up the ante, and because... X-Files was in its, I think, fourth or fifth series by this time, because it ran in 1995 and 1997, Baywatch Nights. They decided to make it more science fiction, supernatural, and it became a really weird sci-fi show. Right. Okay, so so let's get to it. So we're going to crack on with uh, Season 2, Episode 19. Boys, this episode is called The Eighth Seal. Uh, Taking a logical step into mysticism and demonic spells. The eight seal, so you've got eight... Is it eight seals that lock hell? So, uh, something like that. Something to do with closing the gates of hell. Okey-cokey, closing the gates of hell. Graham, the eighth seal, what does that suggest to you? I can't imagine it being anything other than to do with hell. However, if there was a regular Baywatch episode called The Eighth Seal, it would probably be an actual seal. <laughs> yeah, it would be. Arf, arf. Arf, arf, just saying. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, well, The Eighth Seal, in its simplest form David Hasselhoff gets possessed by a demon and gets really really sweaty oh yeah that's, oh generally the, the, the wow. chief consequence of um, being possessed is personal hygiene out the window <laughs> yeah so, oh, uh, I feel like my idea was better it was better wasn't it but what we're gonna see I, th- I feel like Graham's idea was better <laughs> anything is better than this but this episode if a seal got possessed by the devil <laughs> That's what we're after. That's yeah. what we want. Unfortunately, um, I don't think that is what we're going to get. Mitch Buchanan himself, in an effort to save a young girl, gets possessed by a demon and causes chaos in the very small confines of his house. But can we just also say before we start, this shocked me, but thrilled me at the same time. Baywatch itself, the episodes were half an hour, I believe I'm right in Yes. Baywatch Nights on television with breaks was an hour long. He's a 45 minutes of content per episode. And it's fucking shite. Hang on a tick. So if David Hasselhoff's going to get possessed by a demon, does that mean we're also going to see an old priest and a young priest? No. Is David Hasselhoff going to fuck himself with a crucifix? <laughs> <laughs> is, is, is David Hasselhoff's head going to spin round 360 degrees? Is he going to talk about somebody's cunting daughter? <laughs> is he going to throw up everywhere? I don't know. Well, is he going to come downstairs and piss on the rug? <laughs> He just does that anyway. He's <laughs> quite the alcoholic, isn't he? <laughs> so, boys, let's get on this crazy, crazy ride of Baywatch Nights. I present to you the Eighth Seal.
podcast will never be the same. Well, our lives will definitely not be the same after watching The Eighth Seal. Um, mm. Comments? <laughs> oh. Graham, did you enjoy this episode that we've just I don't watched? know. <laughs> it was... Mm. It, it was a, it was, well, I'll say for start, it was entirely different from what I expected. I expected it would be naff, I expected that the sort of the supernatural elements would just be guffaw-inducing, and they were. But there was a genuine, and I don't think intentional, sinister side to, uh, <laughs> to one of our characters. To one of our characters, and just to the general tone of things, there's something nasty about the way this show is made. Yeah, it's a bit weird, <clears throat> isn't it? Um, Chris... Thoughts just before we crack into the episode. What what did you think of it? First of all, I'm not gonna lie. I was quite nauseous throughout. <laughs> I feel like I've just lost 45 minutes of my life, <laughs> and and you know how they say that smoking takes off about around five minutes of your life. Yeah, and, and gives it to Keith Richards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like that's happened, but Keith Richards has just got about a year of my own life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. take this. This episode really did. Yes. Yeah. Take it out of us, yeah. And we didn't get no satisfaction from the <laughs> Baywatch Nights. <No. laughs> Absolutely not. So, um, yeah. So the Eighth Seal was all about David Hasselhoff uh, wrangling a demon from a young girl who then became possessed by it and got really sweaty and set his house on fire. It's pretty. It is that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, this, this episode has, I think. Three locations. We have Casa del Hassa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have the office where presumably yeah. this detective agency is based, and we have a bridge where multiple suicide attempts occur. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. All in the space of yeah, I don't think even twenty-four hours. Let me put it this way, right? The first thirty minutes of the episode not needed. No, you just need it. <laughs> no, no, really not. Really I mean, not. To be honest, the first 40 minutes of the episode really wasn't needed. So the eighth seal, it begins. Mitch is, he's supposed to be going for his jog, but he's running for his life. It's oh, not a jog. It's a it's fucking Is that where it started sprint. as yeah. well? Yeah. Fucking hell, I felt like yesterday. <laughs> so Mitch is running for his life and witnesses a young girl attempting to jump off a bridge. And hey... Hey, <laughs> is all he can say to stop her from doing it. Hey, yeah. hey, you guys. It's just, hey. Hey. Hey, it's like he's hey. seen a girl stand on a bridge and he's confused as to what she's going to do. Now, she's not going to do a triple duck jump, is she? She's going to fucking take her own life. Uh, the young girl, or man in a schoolgirl outfit, as we see, leaps into the ocean and the Hoff goes to rescue her. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Not before he takes off his shoes, though. No, he takes it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, does not want to get those uh, fly kicks uh, wet, does he? <laughs> he doesn't. Um, so he jumps uh, into the pool and saves it and shows that, you know, we might be a detective by... Well, I was going to say by day, by night, really. He's still got it, hasn't he? he yeah, he can still save lives. He can still save lives, can still do the old mouth-to-mouth, -mouth, uh, yeah. So. Oh, that was awkward. Yeah, a little bit, wasn't it? That was horrid. He brings uh, the young girl to the beach and tries to resuscitate her. She comes back to life and some helpful man gives her a blanket. What were you doing, honey? Mitch says. You look like you were going to jump. She fucking did, Mitch! <laughs> <laughs> How else did she get in the water, Mitch? Did you push her? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> Fucking get him a pair of glasses. Uh, the young girl tells him that she wanted to die. That she has to die because he told me to. 
Yeah. Not Mitch, the... No, uh, no, the, Mitch. The, some, something. He, something told her to jump, so she went and did was it. Was it the director? <laughs> yeah. Get off. Uh, at the hospital, and she seems to be okay, but her parents are refusing to pick her up. They insisted on paying for a cab. Yeah. Quality parenting. Hoff, disgusted, says that he will drive her home, and the hospital staff allow him to. This is this is the first moment where I made reference. Everyone, we remember David Hasselhoff's uh, single, Come on and jump in my car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. It, was, it, was, it was a good song. It didn't, it didn't um, bring down communism like no. some of his other hits um, in previous uh, years, but yeah, yeah. It was, it was Did you see the music video to that song? Yeah, he takes kick curb crawling, um, uh, and there were some very, very young ladies if I remember yeah. yes. that he's trying to sort of coerce into, into getting in the car it, it's you know paedophilic yeah it is basically yeah it's dirty <laughs> and he yeah. and the hospital staff are quite okay I mean he might be a local celebrity he's our Mitch but he's just met this girl and he's like oh, I'm just going to take I'm going to take her they're, they're um, sort of way of their sort of fail safe for the whole sort of strange man offers to take teenage girl home is take this release form have the parents sign it when you get there <laughs> You will bring it to him, won't you? I will! God. How, how, how will you know that they've signed it? Oh, there just needs to be a signature. Yeah. Jenny's dad. There we go. That'll fall. Oh, God. And that, you know, so, so far in this episode, we've got the mouth-to-mouth resuscitation of a minor, yeah. and then David Hasselhoff driving a minor home. I... That that's just the tip of the iceberg, people. Yeah, it gets it gets a lot seedier. Oh god! Uh, the girl who we learn is called Jenny gets quizzed by Mitch like a counsellor, and he drives her home, insisting on meeting her parents and sticking his nose in. Uh, the strange parents sign the release form, as we're told, uh, and pay Mitch for his troubles, refusing to believe that their daughter tried to kill herself. Mitch slips the money into the waiter's breast pocket. He looks happy, and Jenny looks creepy, poking through the blinds and getting red eyes. That mm. is literally the one redeeming factor of Mitch Buchanan, man of the peeps. He's a man of yep. the peeps. He, he the gave people. it to that waiter. Yeah, the uh, the parents refuse to acknowledge that their daughter's trying to kill himself. And they're going, no, no, it's fine. It's for your troubles. Listen, I've paid you now. Now get lost. Yeah. And he, Mitch is like Mitch Buchanan for the many. Not the few. <laughs> then we get the credits, boys. Ah! Yeah, it's not, we've it's not CSI. It's no, but we've expressed our love of screaming credits, <laughs> and we get more here. And whereas the scream is by far the highlight of the CSI credits, here it's just the beginning. Isn't it, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now uh, we'll quickly talk about the the credits. Now, Chris, you made a, a um, an opinion that yeah. What, no, no, what, no, what's no. your views on on the titles? Right, the opening credits to uh, Baywatch Nights is basically what they've decided to do. I don't know whose job it was. Uh, all I'm going to say is you need a new person who does this. They decided to go, hmm, what's supernatural? What's a bit creepy? And then put everything that is potentially creepy into the opening credits. We've got the face of a wolf. We've got a skull. We've got pointed fences that look like it's in the outskirts of a graveyard. We've got Mitch Buchanan walking through fog. We've got trees waving in the winds. And my personal favourite, a dog barking and shitting up Mitch Buchanan. <laughs> yeah, this is, it's all the, you know, we've got this this cool saxophone music, you've got all things, yeah, like skulls and cats.
candlelight and running in the dark. And then you just got Mick shitting himself. This dog just goes, just like in the window. And it's like, I mean, that is pretty scary, That's but it's not really horror, is it? <laughs> it does make you jump. <laughs> if you were putting family fortunes and yeah. it was, we, we asked 300 people to name scary objects. <laughs> <laughs> we asked David Hasselhoff to name as many scary things as he can in 100 seconds. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we get these awesome uh, credits. This is a really dark, um, weird montage with David Hasselhoff walking in the dark. Uh, obviously during these credits, um, the two actors that we actually know, the two actors that we actually met during Sabrina, um, but then they're not actually featured in the episode, which disappointed me. Yeah, so Eddie Sabrina isn't in this episode, ne- uh, neither is Donna De Erico. So, But we, we do get... Uh, at least Eddie Sibs anyway in the next episode we're going to watch so we've got that to look forward to so we're back from the episode and we're joined by Mitch and Ryan now Ryan is played by a Angie Harmon right now Angie Harmon this was her first role her first TV role okay do you know how she got the role go on do not have a guess? How did she get the role? I, I don't like with David Hasselhoff. I was going to say, I don't want to say, and I don't want to say anything uh, incriminating. So. She walked past him on a plane. He said she looked hot and cast her. Hasselhoff, this is. Yes. That does not surprise me at all. <laughs> um, she walked past David Hasselhoff on a plane and he just cast her as, as Ryan. Was she an actress already? She must have been. I mean, she's gone to do, um, you know, some things. Um, she appeared as a reoccurring character called Abby Carmichael in Law and Order and your favourite, SVU. Yes. <laughs> um, and she's actually best known for playing Detective Jane Rizzoli in Rizzoli and Isles. And that ran for about six, seven years, I think. Oh, wow. Well. Uh, yeah, I've seen that on, the, on like... Alibi, I yeah, think. It's alibi, been on. Yeah, Alibi, yeah. So, so, I mean, so that was a big... And that's based on a book. That was a big series. She played a main character in that for... For about so, six or seven years. It seems like David Hasselhoff being the, you know, raving misogynist that he is, and that this is well documented, was just like, you're hot, be in my show. But actually, maybe he's got such an eye for talent, he knew, just by, just by seeing this woman, the way she walked, the way she carried herself, that she had a career ahead of her in acting. Yeah, and she, she's quite a good actor. She's probably, she's probably the best one in the show. She's actually, um, she's probably the most believable out of... Of the regular cast, yeah. yes, although I would say... The girl who played Jenny, who had yeah. a lot to do in this episode, I thought did very well with yeah. some uh, very questionable material. Unfortunately, so. she didn't do anything else. No. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. She's probably mentally scarred. <laughs> had to go to counselling after acting opposite bloody David Asselhoff. Indeed. Um, and what's weird is that it's like, this is, um, yeah, this is Angie Harmon's first uh, TV role, as is uh, when we later meet um, Mr. Diamond Teague. Uh, we meet him like, that was his first role. This isn't, David Hasselhoff's first acting role, but... It feels he, like it. It, it, it. Yeah, it, it makes you believe it is. He's, yeah, he's permanently on week one of drama school, isn't he, David Hasselhoff? <laughs> he's so... He's so eager to make you feel what his character is feeling that the desperation overtakes any emotion he's portraying. <laughs> yeah. Not even that. It's not... It's just one level there is no progression of character there is no progression of voice it's all just hey it's high school drama yeah no it's not even high school drama mate it's primary school drama yeah he's, well, well, he's there scratching his ass on stage waving at his parents with a fucking <laughs> dummy in his mouth <laughs> <laughs> the, the other thing about Hasselhoff as well which I think probably you, stops him, you know, ever giving anything like a good acting performance is that he is absolutely in love with himself. Yeah. And so everything he does is done with the utmost sort of 
deliberation and self-indulgence. I mean, obviously, he co-created this show. He's an executive producer. Probably wrote some episodes, I'm guessing. Like, And it is all about, like... like does Mitch Buchanan, like, in any way look at all fallible or bad? Does he do anything wrong? No. Yes. Everybody is at... Well, not everybody, as we'll get into <laughs> in a second, but supposed to be that everybody is absolutely sort of spellbound by this man and his well-being is the up, of the utmost importance to everybody he comes into contact with. Because without Mitch, we're all fucked. Yeah. He's just a fucking lifeguard <laughs> yeah. at the end of the day. Well, he's only put, put some more clothes on and he's going <laughs> to uh, interact with aliens and stuff. Anyway, yeah, so uh, Ryan and Mitch are in their uh, their dark office uh, and they're quizzing each other on the parents. This is the parents of Jenny. Ryan says that she'll run some checks on them, types half a dozen keys and gets up all of her information. And obviously her laptop goes... Yeah. Well, she just goes... Click, 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 click. And then she's got all background information on these people. Ryan had a fiber optic broadband in 1997. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it turns out that Jenny's parents uh, won the lottery three times consecutively. They've recently adopted this Jenny is in like, I think, weeks. They've, yeah. they've owned this girl for a matter of weeks. They, yeah, they're a couple from a trailer park, did they say? Yeah. And then they've become fabulously wealthy. We see them planning some sort of ostentatious elaborate party which they're way more interested in than the fact their daughter nearly uh, killed herself yeah so yeah after a few more uh, clicks of a keyboard uh, she finds all more information about uh, Jenny being adopted Uh, Mitch goes to investigate and Ryan asks a colleague for not just a background check what does she ask for a deep background check you know a deep background check not that regular background check that just gives you a name (laughs) but a deep background check no it's yeah that's what background check where you move all the furniture to the wall. <laughs> yeah. Like a deep clean. But, um... <laughs> she doesn't want just paperwork. She wants paperwork on the wall with string ties. Yeah. That's the sort of thing she wants. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, Mitch just goes for a drive. Why not enjoy the rest of his day? And once again finds Jenny about to jump off the exact same bridge <laughs> for the sake. exact same point. Fucking hell. Um, Mitch then obviously threatens her the only way he knows how, by threatening to save her again. <laughs> If you jump off that, I'm just going to save you again. That would really piss me off off, if I was a demon. Yeah, if you jump off that, you'll have to kiss me again. I think think that is a a potent threat when David Hasselhoff is the one making it. Um, Yeah, David Hasselhoff is so friendly and close with this... 13-year-old girl he's just met. I'm mean, sorry, we should really stop saying David Hasselhoff. Mitch Buchanan is... is <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> the complex and unique character of Mitch Buchanan, well, but we don't, we entirely don't... different to Michael Knight, of course. But <laughs> um, well, we don't live, you don't want to come down and go, have you had those people doing those podcasts? They're saying, Mitch Buch- uh, they're, saying, <laughs> they're saying David Hasselhoff was kissing this girl. We're not. Mitch Buchanan did. Phil, who the fuck's going to say that? <laughs> <laughs> All I'm going to say is if we do end up getting sued by David Hasselhoff by insinuating that he was getting off with a 13-year-old girl, that'll just make my year. Imagine being on the stand across from Hasselhoff. Yeah, he did, he did kiss the girl and it wasn't the first time. <laughs> that escalated quickly. <laughs> I think we might have taken that a bit too far, yes. <laughs> So, uh, back to what we were talking about. Uh, Mitch finds Jenny about to jump off the bridge and he stops her. He talks her down and he invites her to stay at his house like a fucking weirdo. <laughs> and Ryan agrees. She says, Mitch, she can't stay at your house. And he's like, she has to. She fucking doesn't. I mean, if anything, this just supports our previous claim. This is, this is evidence. This, this is, it, it is like... 
if you if you just you know just take it out like Volpedo and everything, just like <laughs> just anyway, like he's not well. They're private detectives, right? Yeah. They're, not, they're not police officers. And even if they were, you know, they'd just put them in, you know, a sort of safe house or something, wouldn't they? Um, invite them round to their house. Like <laughs> she's not hired him, and Jenny hasn't hired him, and Jenny's parents have no. not hired him to conduct any investigative work. So he is essentially just a bloke. Just a, a bloke. bloke. Just a private individual who's saying to this girl, you have to stay at my house. No. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> the, a private detective, isn't he? The, oh, <laughs> the logical step would be, come on, Jenny, let's go to my office where there is another person. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yeah. Where, where there is another person. Oh God! There is another. There is a woman there who you know can who can look after you. A young woman. I mean, not like that means that definitely nothing would happen with her. But yeah, it'd be a more sensible uh, choice than, yeah. than him. I mean, it's just that sort mm. of you know if you. Yeah, <laughs> it's such a shady, shady situation. I mean, we can, and at least we can all agree that Jenny's nights will never be the same anyway. No. Uh, Mitch gets weirded out by some strange activity. It's Jenny who's up late making him an omelette. His favourite omelette at that. One with salsa and extra Tabasco. She also knows when he's last eaten. Yeah, well. which is a bagel and cream cheese at 11 o'clock, she says. She's had a costume change. She's wearing pyjamas. Where the fuck did David Hasselhoff get pyjamas that fit her? <laughs> Well, he has a son, we find out later. Maybe it's his son's clothes, because she stays in his son's room. Right. Where's he, though? <laughs> Where is he? Yes. <laughs> oh, God, we never know. Uh, so suddenly, the chairs start moving on their own. Jenny gets aggressive, and then she lights her eyes up and cuts the phone line. Uh, back at the office, and Ryan and Diamant Teague, or Diamond Teague, I don't know what he is. He's only ever referred to as Teague, so we don't know. They've researched and found loads of uh, Jenny's father's uh, records, uh, library records, and it's a long list of books about spirits, Demons and monsters. Speaking of monsters, David Hasselhoff. Or Teague. I was going to say Teague. Yeah. Um. So, I, I guess Teague is sort of you know the junior sort of partner to to Mitch in this sort of detective agency. He's sort of almost like a sort of trainee, as as is Ryan. But Ryan clearly does have a lot of sort of affection for Mitch. They're probably doing a whole will they won't they sort of thing that they yeah. usually do with uh, detective partners of different genders in TV shows. Um. But Teague, throughout, has such a... Wooden? Well, I think bad acting is the actual reason for it. <laughs> yeah. But, nonetheless, it plays as a total disregard for Mitch. Like, he seems almost... The amount of times Ryan wants to get in there and save Mitch, and Teague shoots the idea down with the <laughs> flimsiest reasons of why they can't do it yet. It seems like he is hoping that they will be too late. Well, one of the reasons is... is do you remember when you opened up a book of demons? How did it feel to have the power? Yes. That's one of his I've reasons. Maybe Teague knows about Mitch's kiddie fiddling activities <laughs> and is making sure Ryan doesn't go around to give him enough time to get what he needs. Maybe he's a wingman. Maybe he's a good wingman. Oh my god. <laughs> wow. Oh shit. Whoa. Well, let's, uh, let's introduce someone to uh, Mr. Diamond Teague. His name is Dorian Gregory. This was, again, he's just like Angie Harmon playing Ryan. This was uh, his first major role. Did, Did they also want <laughs> David Hasselhoff on a plane and go, Yeah, hi. You're hot. <laughs> You're hot. Get in my show. <laughs> I forgot to mention as well, like, Teague is, um, he's a 
paranormal specialist. <laughs> it certainly is paranormal. <laughs> and I forgot to tell uh, that Ryan is a, she's a seer, she's a... Clairvoyant. Yeah, she, she, yeah, she can see spirits, that's her uh, gift, I suppose. Uh, anyway, so Dorian Gregory is best known for playing Officer Daryl Morris for 77 episodes of Charmed. Uh-huh. He owns a music group. He owns them? He owns yeah. them? He owns a music group, yeah. Oh, is that like... Is that slavery? <laughs> I wasn't even going there. He is a an active campaigner for diabetes. Not not for people getting it. <laughs> he, <wasn't. laughs> he is force feeding people cake. He has a pop group in his basement. He's a great guy. No, you cannot have your insulin. You cannot have your insulin. You want this insulin? You can't have your insulin. He once appeared as a guest on Jay Leno's chat show, and Jay Leno had no idea who he was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had no idea who he was. <laughs> poor, poor bloke. Um, at home, and Mitch is confused about why he's eating a spicy Tabasco omelette at midnight. Uh, we then cut back to the office, strangely. And Teague tells Ryan that up and down the country, demonic orphans have been adopted by well-intentioned families, all with spooky occurrences. How the fuck do you know this? <laughs> They've just—he just—he keeps reading these things that he's. He's just found out. Oh, his people have found out, hasn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His people. My people. What do you mean, my people? My people have found this. Yeah, well, I don't know. I, I, I think it's all sort of... Maybe it's the ring. Maybe it's the pedo ring. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> or, or the... Uh, Illuminati. Or the Illuminati. Or the hitmen that he's hiring to eventually kill Mitch. Mm-hmm. Whatever hi- whatever hyperactic is. teenagers with uh, full of sugar and cake. Yeah. I tell you what, though. Probably a series about these demonic orphans would be a lot more interesting than this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, things get a little bit more interesting because Mitch takes Jenny to bed. Uh, and she sleeps in his son's room, which is a nice character development for us not being Baywatch fans. We've learned he's got a small child who we see a picture of him strangling, which is uh, nice, yeah, isn't so it? that's where he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Teague explains to Ryan that a satanic spirit wants all the world's children and will do anything to get them. That's 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 a demonic spirit, not David Hasselhoff. No, it's just yeah, demonic demonic yeah. things from another world that apparently are related to some demons that Ryan provoked out of a vortex. Yeah, in a, in a, in a <laughs> presuming a previous episode. We're, we're, we're assuming but, this, but to be perfectly honest with you, the thin storyline that might not have even probably never happened. happened. Yeah, he also says that Jenny won't kill herself again around Mitch because Mitch's personality is too big. He has no personality. <laughs> but this is again like Mitch. You know, Mitch is everything. Mitch is the pivot on which the universe rotates. Mm. Jenny wakes up in the night and Mitch goes to check upon her, but finds the bedroom has a cool purple glow coming from it. But it's nothing. And he then hears demonic voices again and tries to break the door down. But it opens before he can roundhouse it. Okay, just to add a little bit of context here. David Hasselhoff, Mitch, is asleep with a book resting <laughs> on his chest. Yes. Out of everything in this episode so far, that is the least believable thing <laughs> to happen. David Hasselhoff has read one book, and that's David Hasselhoff's autobiography. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and something on the dark one. And, and can I just mention as well, on the whole going back and forth to this uh, young girl's room, he doesn't, like, knock on the door or anything like that. No, he just fucking barges in three fucking times. <laughs> three times to look at a young girl sleeping. And then he exits. And then he enters. 
Young girl sleeping. Then he exits. Then he enters. Young girl sleeping. Then he exits. Then demonic voice. Then he tries to break into the fucking room. Well, the thing so, it's the second time the demonic voice has come. So the first time he just kind of brushed it off and was like, everything's alright. I must be going mad. <laughs> but, the, the, but the thing is, though, he's just opened the door. This is a, this is a door that, that he's very familiar with. It's a door he clearly uses a lot in his own house. <laughs> He opens it perfectly fine two times, but the third time, it's locked from the inside, and he's banging on it going, Jenny! Jenny, are you alright? She's perfectly fine, mate. She's locked the door so you can fucking leave her alone. <laughs> <laughs> she can sense she's at risk, and the demon is probably an, an, an angelic spirit instead. It's locked the door going, this man, yeah, he's he's going to touch your bum. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so he breaks into the room, he goes inside, and the window is open, and the bed is floating or we suggested it's probably just men dressed in all black, just yeah. lifting it up, whoa, lifting the bed up. He instantly goes to check out what could be underneath the bed. He stands back up, and Jenny is sat on the bed, and we all shit ourselves. She's full-on demon now, and she's trying to blow him off, or blow him away. Uh, electric- I, don't, I don't think she wanted to blow him off. No. I don't think that ever happened. No, no. No, he no. wanted that to happen, but he never. Yes, well, yeah. well, he did get blown away, didn't he? Mm. Uh, she blows him away, gets electrocuted a little bit. She tries to kill him. She ends up settling on burning a handprint on his body. But not after she's made her... Teddy fly at him, and it's exploded. (laughs) Yeah, this this fucking teddy bake, she goes, here's Teddy, and it floats towards him, and it just blows up in his face. That's it, the effects of mid-90s TV aren't too bad. It's just ridiculous what's happening. (laughs) I mean, we've seen, like, in Sabrina, we've seen how amazing the special effects can be, and, you know, you've got someone as David Hasselhoff paying for a show that's supposed to be about magic and paranormal activities and you would have thought the effects would be a little a little I say I, I, they weren't too terrible it's just you know fucking ridiculous yeah and yeah. An exploding teddy bear is never not going to look stupid because it just is stupid <laughs> yeah but Mitch still doesn't seem to grasp that she's quite a demon and he kind of walks off just accepting the weird stuff that's going on Jenny tells him though if he tries to leave the house he'll die Back at the office, and it's come to light that some demons that Ryan set free are the ones controlling Jenny. Continuity, boys. Or not, as we discussed uh, We have earlier. no idea. No idea. But all the meanwhile, um, yeah, Teague is still trying to put off the, the idea that Ryan should go around and help Mitch. He says, no, we can't rush into these things. Stay. And he, he's got this face on him that suggests that, yeah, he, he wants Mitch to die. He gives Yeah, he gives no reasons for, for, for doing this, yeah. other than just... We shouldn't do it yet. <laughs> Zero fucks he gives. Um, back at the Hoff house, and Jenny's warning was true as he tries to leave the house and is greeted by burning flames. Uh, he starts panicking, screaming, and going ape shit. He bursts back into his son's room, and Jenny is floating. And that's when we get the teddy bear that explodes in his face. He calls her a bastard and demands the demon take him over. Instead, because she's just a little girl. Get out of it, she's just a little girl. Is that what he heard once? And yeah, I was going to say. She's just a girl. She's just a girl. Get out just of her. Girl. Get out of her. <laughs> oh, oh, man. He throttles the shit out of her and she screams. I don't know if that's the actress or the character that's screaming. Uh, and the demon leaves her body and enters his own. Nice work, Mitch. Back at the office, and Ryan discovers that the other alleged possessed children are all alive because they gave in to the demon's uh, thoughts. And then some gibberish about making the demon aware, some spooky nonsense we didn't really understand. She grabs a taser and goes to Mitch's house with Teague. What are you going to do with that? We suggested, well, 
She's probably going to use it on you first so she can <laughs> so she can go and save Mitch. They're about to leave, but Jenny arrives at the door, sobbing because the demon has possessed Mitch. We don't care. Here's <laughs> it, it, it the thing, though. The demon in, when inside Jenny would not let Mitch leave. The demon when inside Mitch has evidently let Jenny leave. Mm. Yeah, what's that about? <laughs> well, well, the the demon clearly knows how much danger Jenny would be in, mm. and David Hasselhoff would clearly try and. David Hasselhoff is more evil than the devil. Yes. So <laughs> yeah. that's that's not Mitch Buchanan, by the way. David Hasselhoff <laughs> is more evil than the devil. So. Um, <clears throat> They arrive at Mitch's and Ryan says, smells like someone died in here. So clearly Mitch is a gassy bastard. (laughs) Fucking smells. That omelette, isn't it? (laughs) That midnight spicy omelette. I'm not surprised he's fucking shitting himself. Uh, They spot Mitch, who is dressed all in black and sweating profusely. I think the candles on the turtleneck are a little too much for him. It was just the standard sort of moment of, right, we're going to turn this good character bad for a little while, mm, we'll dress him in a black turtleneck. All black. All black. He looked like R.L. Stein. <laughs> <laughs> well, this episode was very goosebumps, yeah. wasn't it? Fucking hell. But yeah, he's just, he's dressed all in black and his hair's done slightly more evil. Like, it's like, like a Nazi, basically. Yeah, it's I ludicrous. Fucking hell. <laughs> uh, Teague demands Mitch to show himself and with that, he not, not expose himself. No, show no, no. his, show his, show, show the real here. Yeah. Um, so Teague demands Mitch to show himself, and with that, he spits fire at him. Ryan tries to address the now possessed Mitch, but he rattles off a quip or two and pushes her into a chair. He then continues to strangle Teague. He also silences Ryan, which is a neat little trick. Mitch is getting sweatier and more evil, and he's after blood, he says. He rambles off some rubbish, but his voice is too deep and distorted, so the only thing we hear is, You'll meet Mitch in hell! Oh, I didn't even hear that. <laughs> he just he starts screaming and laughing, and yeah, the only thing he hears is, You'll meet Mitch in hell, and continues yeah. to strangle both of his friends. I didn't get a word. Not <laughs> no, it was just... <laughs> excuse me, it was, it was more like this. So after um, him declaring that they'll meet Mitch in hell, Ryan tases him and he screams again quite distorted. And he just passes out. It slightly sounded like Arnie screaming. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It was. They tie him to a pillar because he manages to just have some rope lying around. Now, that rope is there for when he needs to tie up young children. Yeah, it's definitely seafaring rope. Like, it's yeah. not just... It's it's just hung up just yeah. in a bundle just on the wall, ready for anything. And so, obviously, he is a man of the sea, but in his house? I don't... Yeah, I don't know what it's for. Could be... Yeah, could be to tie up young girls. Could be for auto asphyxiation. <laughs> Either way, David Hasselhoff is into some sick shit. Yeah. So, he could uh, just be lassoing cattle, or victims. Uh, he, uh, so they tie him to a pillar, but he manages to break free with ease. Now he's full-on blazed. He's red-eyed. He flicks his head to the side, and Teague flies out the way. He then strangles Ryan with his mind. Mitch then spots pictures of himself in the house, like strangling his child and some of his friends. But he also gets old Baywatch memories, causing the real Mitch to break free a bit and spring out the house. He dodges the flames, which he couldn't do earlier, and runs into the road where he screams at an oncoming truck and gets hit by it. But very, very sort of like 
tamely. Like, the, <laughs> the, the truck does break. And it sort of like just knocks him like a few yards down the road. Yeah. But he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler, he's dead. Point is like it's like the, the truck is stationary and here's a hassle he's just gone, Ah just run into it. <laughs> he's going faster than the truck. <laughs> so he gets run over by the truck and yeah, and he's yeah, he's dead. In his delirium he then sees a ghostly image of Stephanie, a former living Baywatch babe. Uh, we then cut to a seemingly dead Mitch lying in the road. Stephanie, who says she died last year, is trying to convince him that being dead is great. But it's not his time yet. And the demon managed to possess another soul when he got hit by the truck. So we assume that could be the truck driver then. Could be, yeah. Maybe. Who yeah. knows? Stephanie tells him that she loves him and he and fades into the night. Not before David Hasselhoff can copper feel. Yeah, well, sobbing. <laughs> very, very disturbing. He goes... <laughs> Can I touch you? And and, and, and we, it, we we all just went. Mm. He do, he does only touch her face. Yes, but with, with his hand. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, still very very odd. Very odd. She fades off into the the Baywatch nights, and he returns to his body. He's back to normal and craving a coffee. So there's no like hints that he's cracked ribs, um, fractured anything. He's just he's just got his arm in a sling. I mean, the the thing right? It's just we don't. This whole episode was about the being possessed by a demon, yes. right? David Hasselhoff gets hit by a truck. The demon disappears, okay? There is no closure. There is no <laughs> fucking exorcism. The, the demon just moves to a new host. That's it. It's fine. It. And we see but- some not clearly explained scene where Jenny's um, you know, greedy adopted parents who clearly made some sort of deal with the devil to win uh, the lottery three times uh, being sort of like vaporised yeah, well a demonic voice says you broke the deal or something like that like, the, what deal? we have yeah, no yeah, idea we what don't know the is. terms of the deal <laughs> we weren't privy to these discussions yeah. so it means nothing so yeah so, but the, he didn't stop the demon the demon just left but David Hasselhoff is a hero and saved the day uh, Mitch tells Ryan that he saw the light and a scantily clad lifeguard who told him he still has a job to do in the living just then there's a knock at the door and it's Teague angry that Mitch is still alive. Jenny, who is no longer possessed, but still pretty crazy because she gives Mitch a bear. And Mitch gives her a weird hug with an accompanying moan. I mean, I guess... He goes, I guess these two have been through a lot together in the short time they've known each other, but let's be clear, they've known each other a very, very short time. 24 hours! And he's demanding a very intimate, noisy hug. (laughs) With a a barely, like, aged teenager in a short skirt. And with that, we end the eighth seal of Baywatch Nights. Talking about it further, does your opinion of the episode still stand, Graham? I think probably itemising all its wrongs has made it so much worse. (laughs) Chris, do you agree? I'd I'd really rather watch a possessed seal. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That would have been great. That would have been amazing. He'd still molest that, though, wouldn't he, the sick fuck? Well, um, boys, we want something that's light-hearted that's going to take us from this weird, creepy, sort of paedophilic subplot that we discovered here. So we're going to go on to our final episode that we're going to watch. <laughs> this one is fabulous. It's called Frozen Out of Time. Oh. Now, quickly, Chris, what do you think Frozen Out of Time is about? If it's about a fucking caveman that leader frost, I'm just going to flip my nut. Frozen out of time, this is episode 13, Mitch defrosts a 900-year-old Viking. I'm out! <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> and has to fight him on the streets. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? Oh, let's watch it. Yes. Even if I going to fight a Viking, I can't Wow, um, boys, that's frozen out of time. Um, Chris, what did you think of it? <laughs> I'm really interested in hearing your words on uh, this particular uh, episode. Well, Seeing how thrilled you were to hear what it was about. I'm not going to lie. I am, I am so enthused by, by this episode. I cannot contain my excitement. I think all throughout, me and Graham were pissing ourselves we were laughing so much and every time we looked at Chris and Chris was just stone faced just you hated every part I hated every aspect from from the concept to the medical jargon to the fucking immobiliser which we'll get on to boy do I have a problem with that Oh, well, this episode was oh, awesome. Oh, and the fucking end as well. <laughs> the end. Jesus The Christ. end is easily one of the greatest things I think I've ever watched in TV. It's ever. one of the worst things <laughs> I've ever watched in TV ever. Well, let's see who you believe when we get to it anyway. So, yeah, Frozen Out of Time is, uh, is Teague and his team defrost two 900-year-old Vikings that go stomping around California. Not California, just the dock. Oh, just the dock, sorry. They... <laughs> <laughs> their, uh, their voyages are very limited in scope. <laughs> so they go traipsing around, um, around the, the docks. Of San Pedro. Yeah, and then just fight each other and Hasselhoff gives them a Viking burial. Oh, fuck <laughs> hell. That's, yeah, oh. that's, that's it. <laughs> that's, that's it. What did you think of it? Uh, right, so... Oh, okay, so these, this amazing episode opens with some awesome stock footage that shows an excavation site with Baywatch Night actors talking over it. Presumably, <laughs> not what the footage is actually about. It's well, I think it's actual. Seems to be actual footage of because it's supposed to be like a glacier. No, a, a volcano has erupted. Yeah, in Reykjavik. In, in yeah, in, in Iceland, and it's melted loads of ice, and it has unearthed the perfectly preserved like perfectly preserved yeah. to the point where with the right technology you could resuscitate them because that happens yeah. bodies of two frozen Vikings as in not just people from like northern Europe like yeah. actual people from the Viking age yeah. a thousand years ago Teague is for some reason part of a project yeah the, the, the line <laughs> isn't secure is it he says over the voiceover this line isn't secure bringing them over to my lab Sort of project to bring these bodies to America, to a dimly lit laboratory full of dry ice, because those are the best scientific working yeah. conditions, as everybody knows, um, to revive these gentlemen and, I guess, find out what a Viking would make of 
1990s America. <laughs> yeah. But these people, obviously, science got the dry ice, they've got all their computers and loads of switches and buttons, which no one seems to know what they're doing with. But they believe that thawing out these Vikings... <laughs> Thor! Thawing them out! <laughs> but thawing out these Vikings, they honestly believe that they're just going to wake up and go, hey guys, what's what's the matter? Where am I? I don't, this is all new. I don't know what they expected, to be honest. <laughs> no. they, yeah. But they got exactly what we expected yeah, anyway. But, but in this laboratory, where no scientist knows what the fuck they're doing, all you hear is every now and then some medical, medical jargon that is like, yeah, the cryosphere is going down. <laughs> uh, make sure you pump the chemicals in. The amino acids are at a high level. Yes, yeah, circulation is happening. It's like, fuck off. Yeah. What, I mean, do you know what that means? <laughs> no! No, you don't! Amino acids is just like... Isn't that like... That's the building blocks of, of pretty much your DNA. Right, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that's what they are. <laughs> amino acids. Cryogenic. It's just fucking rubbish, isn't it? They may as well have just said, yes, they are defrosting. Yeah. yeah. Are they cold? Yes. Are they... <laughs> Getting gradually uncold. Yes. Yeah. That was it. That, that that was it. Yeah. Not the cryogenic bio temperature <laughs> is reducing as the amino acids enter the hydro- hydrogen malleosphere. <laughs> by the way, probably a direct quote. Yeah. Probably. probably. Yeah. Um, the scene continues with some really, really long, boring shots of people typing and reading results to show us just how complicated this process is. Real science is boring enough as it is. Fake science is <laughs> yeah. fucking I tedious. Mean, mate, I mean, if any of these doctors have made a fucking spag ball, just leave the mints out of the fridge for overnight. Just fucking leave these Vikings out on a shelf overnight. All that, right I've had right. more fun defrosting my own fucking <laughs> freezer than watching that. <laughs> Oh, so it also turns out that Baywatch's resident paranormal expert, Teague, as we say, is in charge of the operation. What? Paranormal expert? Yeah. How does that make him in any way an authority on defrosting <laughs> Vikings? So after a few seizures, the Vikings are successfully thawed out, well, one of them is, and brought back to life. All the doctors and scientists cheer, so naturally that tells us they'll be dead soon. Mitch and Ryan arrive at the compound, and Ryan is trying to convince Mitch to go on some ancient retreat for a holiday. Excellent. Meanwhile, one of the Vikings wakes up and goes walkies, choke slamming and power bombing everyone in his path. Uh, we then get the opening titles with our favourite. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, after the credits, the Viking is still on a rampage, while someone isn't raising the alarm as the head doctor keeps shouting. Have you raised the alarm? Raise the alarm! Quickly, raise the alarm! No one is fucking raising that alarm. Not only that, but I might be skipping ahead here. I don't give a shit. It's the same vein. Only when Mitch and fucking Ryan turn up, does someone have the idea to call the police <laughs> and get a medical team down? Someone's been fucking stabbed. Yeah, they, they have a code. Oh yeah, yeah, because the Viking goes and just starts slicing everyone. Yeah, yeah. yeah they have a special mass murder occurs. They're like, someone raise the alarm. So, who who does the alarm go to? <laughs> it goes. No one. Just it's just for them, isn't it? It's just a house. It's a house alarm is going I off. I feel a lot better now. There's a siren going off while everybody's being killed. <laughs> There's like a rave anthem now. <laughs> just screams and it's awesome, isn't it? And yeah, so the ra- the alarm isn't being raised. They call someone who does a quick code, and it it eventually delivers. Uh, they drop off some people in turtlenecks, waistcoats, and glasses. But it's fucking like no one's raising the alarm, which again is doing nothing. 
Um, so in slow motion, the scantily clad, long grey-haired bull is escaping, just moving really slowly, like moving out of the way of scaffolding and you know, wood. you know the stereo- stereotypical things that you'd find at a dock. <laughs> That's it. He's just he's rampaging around a dock. Um, so they're out on a rampage. He's found his uh, his little hat and his sword. He's looking very confused at the new world before his eyes. Back in the lab, and everyone is either dead or just really cold. Uh, back on the LA streets, and the Viking is trying to stab an oncoming truck. He misses because he can't gauge the speed at which a truck would move. No. And then they all say, like, you're telling me that was a Viking? Not was. Is. Says a deranged old school British American scientist. The only kind that you get in these CD laboratory uh, operations. Well, he's not, he's, not, he's not British American. He's like British German. British yeah. German, sorry, yeah. Because mad scientists can only be of two nationalities. And this guy's both. <laughs> I imagine his name's Gunter Smith. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Herr Smith! <laughs> no, it's just one of those things. It's like, okay, okay, oh, right, so we're going to have this this bit of a scientist thingy-majig going on. Hmm, who, what, what, who should be in charge? Who should be in... <gasps> Mad scientist. Mad, Mad scientist. British, yeah, yeah, yeah. German. British, German. Yeah, that guess, makes sense. I guess Hollywood's depiction of European scientists is that they're very brilliant, they can do some incredible things... But they don't know when they're going too far. Because <laughs> yeah. they're always... Should we be offended by this? I'm not sure. But we're always presiding over something. It's like um, like Richard Attenborough in uh, Jurassic Park. We're always presiding over something... Yeah. Which sort of is incredible. But there's a huge risk of things going badly wrong. Yeah. And then they do. And when they do go wrong, we're not really that fussed about it. Like, yeah. this guy's just sort of like... It's just... Put the kettle on. Cup of tea, that'll solve yeah, it. Yeah, he's fascinated by what's happening when he's scared. Oh, one, one of my one of my lab technicians has been killed by a Viking. This is this is incredible stuff. Yeah, yeah. I've seen it firsthand. Killed Let's by see. a Viking in the nineties. Can you believe it? Like, <laughs> Let's have a cup of tea and wait for all this to blow over. That is more or less his attitude. Yeah. Uh, the Viking is now on the port, looking like a lost little puppy. Uh, but we come back into the lab, and the doctors say that they're taking their time with the second Viking because they've got the best automated. <laughs> cryogenic machines money can buy cause money because <laughs> they have right no right they've literally <laughs> literally they've just brought a viking to life yeah. what happened was shit shit went down people got stabbed yeah. mm, we're gonna take our time on the second one that should change things <laughs> <laughs> well Chris I don't even, well the reason why they were unprepared for this Viking come back to life is because he defrosted two hours earlier than they'd assumed so I guess if he def- uh, oh I'm sorry two hours time, I'm that's why sorry. he was so angry <laughs> <laughs> I'm awfully sorry there was an issue with time scale <laughs> Yeah, that's why he was so angry. He felt wrong. Mm, he felt mm-hmm. like he was defrosted at the wrong time. Basically, he woke up cranky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Chris, if, if I woke you up two hours before you were met, you were, had to get up, you'd be very annoyed, wouldn't you? <laughs> I, I, I would be a little peeved. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you'd swing a sword around. <laughs> anyone, if you yeah. had a sword by your side as you woke up and looked at the clock, you'd probably go. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I see your point. Yeah, yeah. very yeah. valid. <laughs> well, boys, to <laughs> combat this uh, Viking that's on the rampage, they do what any sort of 
sort of serious situation calls for. The, the best technology money can buy, given to the best people that money can buy. So, of course... Wait, they the best s- people being the English-German mad scientist? No, no, Mitch. Oh. They send Mitch out on the streets to wrangle the Viking with... with oh, what's it called? The immobilizer. <laughs> okay. I, what, I, Chris, tell us, pray tell us, what is the immobilizer? The, the immobilizer. Mo- immobilizer. Yeah, the immobilizer. Uh, basically, what it looks like is a, a silver funnel attached onto the end of a rifle uh, with some uh, red red sponges four of them to be exact and later on in the episode we do get a, a, a look inside this funnel and there is just a net so the immobiliser is a big net so drawing parallels as my mind always does you have essentially sent Mitch Buchanan out with a giant butterfly net to catch a crazy man. Yeah. That's what's happened. Yeah. Buchanan with a cannon. And it is about as uh, robust as a butterfly net. <laughs> it is the only thing it could restrain is something with the strength of a butterfly. Certainly not a Viking. Well, the thing is that we see later on he shoots the immobiliser at the Viking and the net tears because of his pointy hat and sword. <laughs> <laughs> They're not fucking prepared, are they? Jesus. Anyway, the Viking stumbles upon... I'm sorry, a- whose idea was it to arm him with a net? <laughs> I don't know, same people whose idea it was to defrost a Viking. I, I understand they don't want to kill him. That That's the point, that they yeah. don't just be like, go and shoot this guy because they, they want him alive. But tasers were around in the 90s. Tasers were featured in the last episode we looked at. <laughs> um, so, yeah. and But it, it, it's presented to him. And also, you see later on, another of the lab people has mm-hmm. one of these immobiles. It has a special name. <laughs> there are multiple uh, sort of copies of it. Yeah. It's sort of bestowed upon him like it's some very special <laughs> scientific technology. And it's a net on the end of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the Viking stumbles upon a homeless man harassing him for money and scotch. And unfortunately, he doesn't kill him. Mitch calls in his good pal, Eddie Sibs, uh, to help capture the Viking warrior. Sibs reckons, I don't know if you caught this, Sibs reckons that the Viking by now would have changed clothes, blended in, and driven a car out of the port. Because <laughs> that's what he'd do. <laughs> that's what he'd do. It's not a fucking um, Viking. Eddie, uh... What's he supposed to be? What's his job? He's he's just an assistant who comes in in the detective agency. He's called Griff. Griff, because he has like didn't he have like overalls on or something? Is he like a mechanic? No, he looked like that. He just had a really long shirt because he's wearing jeans. Right, okay. but he did look like he did look yeah, like he was a mechanic, mechanic or something. Uh, back in the lab and with expert expositional dialogue, we learn that the great volcano Loki erupted in Iceland, and that's where they found the bodies. It's also worth noting that after twenty minutes. Credits are still rolling at the bottom of the screen. There is like one credit per five minutes. <laughs> like... <laughs> uh, they find the homeless man that uh, was harassed by the Viking before and he points them in the right direction. Uh, we cut to the port where two blokes are aggressively talking about sport betting and handling a fragile package which they just plonk down on the back of a truck. The Viking makes an appearance and starts eating a big fish. Meanwhile, the two blokes are just shouting at him. They're Get away sh- from there! They're shouting, yeah, put the box down. What no one is shouting is, why the fuck are you eating a raw fish? <laughs> <laughs> why are you eating a raw fish? Why are you dressed like a Viking? <laughs> yeah. Just... Get away from there. Get oh. away from that box. That's who, all the show. Who are you? 
Yeah. Uh, the Hoff gives us a rundown of the history of Vikings. He tells us that where, where Vikings have come from. Again, this is one of those moments. You know how in the previous episode I, I referenced the fact that the least believable thing in there was was David Hasselhoff reading a book? Yeah. yeah. The least believable thing here is David Hasselhoff knowing anything about Vikings. <laughs> anything about anything. Anything about anything. Other than lifeguarding. Like, I, 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 can, I, will, I will suspend my disbelief and go, yeah. You yeah. can raise a frozen Viking. Why not? <laughs> the man- they did it to Austin Powers. Yeah. But David Hasselhoff knowing things. Nah, I'm out. <laughs> the man who in real life knows nothing about anything knows everything about everything in this. <laughs> yeah. The only reason that they needed all those scientists to defrost the Viking was because Mitch was busy. <laughs> could, have all, could have done it all himself. Could have been a one-man operation yeah. easily. Um, so he has a, uh, the half gives us a rundown of the history of Vikings, which means which makes Eddie Sibbs just go, "Wow, so you must really know the guy." Fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> Going back to the dock, one of the blokes tries to wrangle the fish away from the Viking, and they both get slapped in the face, proper backhanded in the face, and the other one goes, "That's a big son of a bitch!" He cries. Well, they knew that before. <laughs> it's not like they've gone. He's gone. Oh, he's a bit tall. And they've gone closer. Wow, no, no, he is. Yeah, really exactly. That tall. exactly. A little, he seems small from over here, uh, and then got up to him and was like, No, yeah, actually, he's, he's a big son of a bitch. He's a big son of a bitch. Viking um, diet, not really very sort of complete, not very well rounded. Their bone structure would not have been up to much. No. no they no, no. probably would not be really by modern standards that big, would they? I mean, it's well known that, like, as time has gone on, human beings have gotten taller. <laughs> yeah. So a guy from a thousand years ago probably isn't going to be towering over just about anybody from today. That's true, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just storybook Vikings, yeah. isn't it? And the way they look is probably not necessarily how they looked anyway. Um, so he has a big old bit. And then his other fisherman friend says, just let him have the fish. And he picks up like a sickle and just goes, like hell I will. And just heads towards this seven foot massive Viking with a sword and pointy hat with this fucking weed trimmer. It's a fish hook, isn't it? It's That's a what fish it is. hook, yeah. yeah. Uh, he's just about to behead the fisherman when Mitch and Griff show up and he tries to speak to him, speaking slowly in English. However, if he really did know the Vikings, he would know that he wouldn't understand. Yeah, that's the point, actually. You know, if, if you're such an expert, Mitch, you know, how's your runic? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's just there going, no, don't go there. Follow me just patting his chest. It's not a fucking ape. He's a classic, like, Englishman or American, like, abroad, isn't he? Sort of? <laughs> yeah. Do um, you have this? <laughs> just Mitch, he doesn't know he's stuff, does he? Uh, they try to net him with the net gun. Sorry, the 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 immobilizer. The, the immobilizer. <laughs> you know, you got to use these gotta scientific use... terms, otherwise, you know, who who knows what's going on? Yeah. yeah. Well, they try to net him, and they get thrown around a little bit. They decide then that they need some help. Two men who know nothing about catching Vikings, equipped with a gun that shoots a net out that has been torn. They've admitted they need help, boys. I mean, it's not even like... We referenced the butterfly net before, yeah. yeah. The emo... In the previous episode, Mitch just happened to have some rather large rope lying around his apartment. Yes. Yeah? The, the immobiliser net looks like it is literally made out of, of, of sewing... Yeah. Equipment of, of of needle and thread stuff. Yeah. So no find, find out like broke. a cullender, has yeah. it? <laughs> That's exactly what it is. It's it's needle and thread being thrown out of a colander. What, what would yeah. have liked to see in that lab was just a big glass box that says in case of Viking attack <laughs> <laughs> Please smash and someone smashed it and just got this net. Yeah. 
<laughs> the immobiliser. Fucking hell. Uh, so back at the lab, and the doctor says that he just has to leave. He's got something else which needs his yeah, priority uh, attention. Oh, well, well, we all know what that is, don't we? Uh, now he's defrosted a Viking. He's moving up a scale, and he's got to reanimate a corpse. He's going to do something else yeah, that yeah. requires his attention. Uh, so he says that everything is safe, everything is fine, and absolutely nothing whatsoever can go wrong whilst Ryan is in the facility on her own. And Ryan agrees it's fine. Um, is it though? <laughs> it's definitely there's there's a Viking which they've already said will be defrosted in two hours, and he's leaving, going, yeah, it'll be fine. Yeah, again, fine. Richard Attenborough in Jurassic Park. There's nothing to worry about. Yeah, yeah everything's, everything's going to be all right. I'm in. I'm intelligent. Everything's yeah. fine. Uh, Ryan is talking to the second frozen Viking, obviously just not literally, but uh, quizzing him on what was going on and ultimately why he has a knife in his shoulder, which coincidentally is nowhere near his shoulder. No, it's like on his breast, isn't it? Yeah. It's essentially plunged into his heart. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're back on the streets with Viking lad Mitch and Sibs. Mitch almost loses his head a few times, obviously because he's just running away from a giant seven-foot man swinging a sword. Uh, Teague and his mysterious turtlenecked, blazered, sunglassed operatives arrive on the scene just in time to watch Mitch struggling. Mitch escapes and the Viking very camply jogs away. The operatives have also brought a second immobiliser, just in case (laughs) the first one was just a duff, just in case it didn't work properly. It did seem like it was a bigger (laughs) immobiliser, in fairness. It was a re-immobiliser. Maybe it was like, here Mitch, have the first prototype. We've actually got the real thing. Yeah. We'll bring that later. Yeah, it's expensive to bring out, so make, see if the if the practice one works. If yeah. not, yeah, we'll give you the other one, yeah. <laughs> Just fucking get a gun. Hoff tells us the history of the word berserk, which comes from the Vikings, apparently, so we get another lesson from uh, Professor Hoff. Yeah, thanks. So, uh, yeah, that's lovely. He tells out the word berserk is a, it means <laughs> to kind of attack until you've got no energy or something and yeah yeah great kill or be killed is basically how Eddie Sibs uh, sums it up Uh, now the doc is very smoky and Mitch gets a phone call from Ryan she asks him a question about Vikings because obviously he's the expert Uh, he's read all that book he tells (laughs) her that they were most likely involved in a blood feud where two Vikings go out but only one comes back it's like he says it's like some honour thing He's being very modest. He knows exactly what the fuck it is. Mitch is determined to beat the Viking, so he sends everyone else back to the lab to deal with the other one, whilst he takes it out by himself. Yes, because the two Vikings were supposedly found on a boat, just the two of them, instead of in a group, which is apparently how Vikings always travelled, like they were like flamingos or something. (laughs) (laughs) Only travel in groups. Um, And... uh, I don't know, one of them had a, a knife in his quote-unquote shoulder. So, um, yeah, so that's how historical expert Dr. Mitch Buchanan uh, <laughs> yeah. concludes. Yeah. So back at this at said lab, and it seems that once again, these expert scientists have no fucking clue what to do because it's going wrong again. He's defrosting two hours earlier than expected. And what's their, what's their strategy to contain this film? It's just maniacally flail and flick any switch that his hand meets. It's just... Yeah. He said there's this computer uh, board just full of screens and lights and buttons and he's just hitting anything he can get his hand on, just like a maniac. Oh, right, okay, we'll defrost one Viking, wonderful. Oh, we defrosted it, it's come to life, brilliant, okay. Let's do the same again. Yeah. Let's make the same mistake. Maybe that one was a duffer's, or maybe that was like the immobiliser. The second time we do it, it's going to be much <laughs> yeah, better. Yeah, 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 definitely. This one's going to be much nicer. Oh. Wait, what's the definition of insanity? 
uh, oh, doing yeah. the same thing over and over again and expecting a different results. Yeah. yeah, that's what Einstein said. They're all fucking insane. <laughs> <They're> all insane. <laughs> Absolutely. And who who did the risk assessment for this? <laughs> Teague, did he? What a knob. Uh, Ryan is upset that if she leaves, they're going to kill the already dead man. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is a very weird thing. Nobody cares more about this these Vikings staying alive than Ryan. Yeah. You know, we, we thought in the last episode that she seems to have you know sort of you know quite a bit of sort of you know affection for for old for old Mitch, but um, she's pretty much happy to let him be killed by this Viking. Again, after a massive seizure, Viking number two has successfully been defrosted. He wakes up just as angry as the other one, growling and shouting at the doctors. He sniffs Ryan. For a long time. <laughs> yeah. Like a really long time. An awkwardly long time. Yeah. yeah, he touches her face and then licks his thumbs. And, yeah. Uh, it's just... It's... But the doctors are going, no, it's fine. He's like channeling his inner uh, Mitch. He says, like, it's fine. It's how he's communicating. He's just... Sniffing you out, and but yeah. he's fascinated, isn't he? He's like, This is how they did it, and like, wow. and if he started raping, he'd be like, This is how they raped. This Excellent. is fascinating. Meanwhile, Ron Perlman, <laughs> ro- <laughs> meanwhile, Ron Perlman rocks up again to greet his defrosted mate. Ryan is touched up by the other Viking, trying to dress his ancient wound, but suddenly the Vikings meet once more and do battle in the cramped laboratory. Yeah, and this is when the the climactic battle of these two Vikings that we've been looking forward to for the past 40 minutes really meet and Chris was it as exciting as you'd hoped oh my god the sparks were literally <laughs> flying oh yes these swords were clanging and banging and the sparks were it flying was, everywhere absolutely everywhere it was just it was spark city yeah you know so much <laughs> excitement and meanwhile the doctors have been thrown out the way uh, Viking one Ron Perman just sort of throws the other one the doctor's around her, the doctor screams. Ryan is passed out on the floor, which obviously makes Mitch's ears prick up. Uh, Ryan, and gets, and other things. <laughs> Ryan gets thrown out of the way, doctors get pushed on the ground, and an all-out battle commences. Sibs and the Hoth finally arrive and try to get Ryan to safety, but all she's bothered about is the Vikings killing themselves. <laughs> Hoth tells us that it's their destiny and it must be done. But then he instantly goes against his word and Norse knowledge and jumps into the fight himself, armed with a fucking broom. Oh! <laughs> no, their destiny is that they must die at the hands of the heart. <laughs> yeah. uh... You're in a lab. Surely there is a more robust thing that you could fight with. <laughs> and I, I, I'm not going to lie to you, it doesn't look like that broom is being used for a single time. No, it, it, it's, it's brand new. It's box fresh, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> flat, this flat pack lab, and this is the, uh, the props that they use for it. It's never been swept at all. But Hoff picks it up in kind of like a Skyrim Elder Scrolls way, so it's clearly got some attack to Maybe it. it's not dry, I think it's just dust in the air. <laughs> no one's ever swept up. <laughs> Uh, so he tells us it's their destiny that they must kill each other and then thinks that they must die by his hand. Just as Mitch is about to be killed by uh, by Viking number one, Viking number two throws his sword into the back of Viking number one, saving Mitch and killing his blood-feuded enemy. Mitch then removes the sword from Viking one and gives it to Viking two as he tells us and his friends that for a Viking to go to Valhalla, he must go with his sword. He can't get into Valhalla without it that's actually that's actually true 
So, so Hoff yeah. has definitely read up on that. Yeah, 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 yeah. De- definitely is as much of an expert as he says he is. Yeah. Yes. And because he's an expert of uh, getting Vikings into Valhalla, he feels that the only way to send these oh, Vikings oh. off is by conducting... <laughs> Here we go. ...a Viking oh. burial. Now, Chris, there were a couple of things that you... <laughs> I mean, you said already when we did the last episode, you said, if... Um, if this episode is about defrosting an ancient caveman, mm-hmm. you're out of here. Yeah. Just before this, you said, if... Oh, yeah. yeah if yeah, Mitch yeah. Buchanan... Well, t- you tell us. What did you say? So, so uh, I'll paint the scene. We're on a, uh, a wooden jetty, and we see uh, a floaty floaty thing. A pontoon, almost. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, Mitch is there tying something off. And it's at this moment that I realise, oh, he's put the Vikings on this pontoon. He's giving them a Viking burial. Fair enough. If Mitch now grabs a bow and arrow and puts it on fire, <laughs> I am just gonna lose my shit. It wasn't that, and it was and hits the pontoon yeah. oh, in one, one shot. Yeah, with one shot, as it flows out to as sea. As it flows out to sea, I'm gonna lose my shit. And lo and fucking behold, <laughs> it's of course like, he fucking does it. And Ryan even goes, "I'm not sure this is legal." Ryan, you are correct. It's not legal. And there he goes, and he pulls back the bow and arrow that is now on fire and yells out before release Valhalla! And hits it in one go and sets fire to the thing. And I'm not being funny. Even in Lord of the Rings there is a scene where they push it's uh, Boromir. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sean Bean. Yeah, yeah. Sean Bean out and they pull and Legolas hits in one go. But he's he's an archer. But he's, he's... He's an archer. He's an elf. He's got vision. 2020, 50 50, whatever vision. There is many, many shows that they do it. In fact, I think it was Game of Thrones recently yeah. did it, pushed another dead body out to sea, and it took like three fucking attempts to get there. Yeah. I mean, Mitch Buchanan, where did you go to archery school? <laughs> Mitch Buchanan is a lifeguard and a part time detective. And an excellent <laughs> archer with a. Degree in uh, Viking history, yeah. but the funniest thing was the thing that you could control yourself about Grove was the fact that Mitch is so serious. Yeah, he's so sincere about like these the Viking codes of honor, most of which are made up because he lived a thousand years ago. We don't actually know that much about them. Most of it's just been sort of you know <laughs> sort of assumed and you know created from films and things. Yeah, it's. Uh... <laughs> Just, I don't know, just... The yeah. scene closes just on his face blowing in the wind, just how serious he is about how thinking, I've done a good thing here. Well, that is David Hasselhoff thinking, this is the one that will get me the Emmy. <laughs> um. Oh, so... Oh, God. Oh, so with that, boys, hell. frozen out of time, did you enjoy it? Um, I, enjoy is not the word. <laughs> um, I, I'm glad things like this exist, because... <laughs> You know, otherwise, how would we recognise truly good television? (laughs) (laughs) That is very true. You know how before that I said, uh, every time you have a cigarette, Keith Richards gets five minutes of your life. And after watching that episode, Keith Richards has got a year of my life. After watching this episode and hearing that, (laughs) Keith Richards has got a fucking decade of my life. (laughs) Maybe David Hasselhoff is getting more years of his life than this. (laughs) So, so that's the end of like Baywatch nights, boys. What do we think of it as as a show? As w- a, did these episodes, oh. do you think, sort of encapsulate exactly what this show is about and give you a good idea of why it didn't exist for very long? I feel like what happened when they were writing these 
uh, episodes was they got a bunch of people, a bunch of people in the writers' room, and David Hasselhoff was there. Okay, and it was it. This all came from David Hasselhoff. Yeah, head. that's how. And then well, the writers just had to write something. David Hasselhoff, yeah, came up with the concepts of the episode, but being illiterate yes. as he is, someone had to actually put his. Batchet ideas into script form. Oh well, that's the end of this uh, very. It's been an ordeal. I'm ti- I'm knackered. I'm I, so I, tired. I it has sort of worn. You know, I've, I've you know, it was, it was all it was all very amusing, but it has worn me out. Just the sheer wonderment at sort of the the very existence of this show. Yeah, has worn me out more than like doing every single episode of the first season of Sabrina. Yeah, put together. <laughs> I, 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 I'm I, I'm sat here going right. The first episode we watched, it w- w- I found it fucking hilarious. The second episode we watched, I was just like. What is this? <laughs> it's the realization that they're all like this, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And that there's like twenty odd episodes of and this. Someone's actually made this and paid for this, and other people have ended up watching this. It was like, how? How is this thing a thing? This and they're forty-five minutes long. Yeah, oh and, and, and the episodes don't—they're not much different than this. There's an episode where a kraken type creature terrorizing the port. Episode where what a kraken, the thing that lives in the deep. Yeah. And just happens to be at a dock. Yeah, and, and another episode <laughs> where a friend of Ryan's comes back and she's actually a vampire. Oh, and uh, there's just too many of these fucking... Are there any... Hysterical are, concepts. Are, are there any, like, repeats of things? Like, two episodes about werewolves or something? Yeah, like um, a two-parter, like in Doctor Who. Yeah, I, I'm not too sure. <laughs> I think there's only one way to find out, and I think... I don't really want to, <laughs> Uh, should we just leave it as these episodes? A part, a, yeah, a part of me wants to sort of watch this whole thing because it is so mad and I love like bad crap TV and films, especially from the 80s and 90s, but I don't think I could take it. No, I mean, if you if you turned around to me and said, Chris, we're going to do more Baywatch nights, I, I'd be like, fine, okay. not Yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it. But I wouldn't watch it in my own time. No. You're not going to make time for it. No. <laughs> no. I lead, lead a very busy life. <laughs> this, but yeah. Got not keep... as busy as Mitch Buchanan, though. Clearly. Oh, no, 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 no. All no, that no, stuff is to go through, yeah. Well, that's the end of our special Baywatch Nights edition of Sabrina the Teenage Watch Extra Credit. I hope you did find some enjoyment out of it. Um, I, we I, didn't. <laughs> I, I think I think this is a show that's it's definitely got some intrigue, and I think I will watch a couple more episodes. It's, it's in no way... Yeah, compulsory. No. Yeah. Please do not feel you have to go out your way to watch this episode. We did, so you don't have to. We are martyrs. We suffered for <laughs> we suffered for you. <laughs> oh man. So thank you very much for joining us for this uh, special episode. We've got a few more extra credit uh, episodes coming up soon. Uh, so yeah. Just watch this space, keep in contact via Twitter and Facebook. Twitter, you can find us at Sabrina Watch. And Facebook, you can find us just at Sabrina, the Teenage Watch. If you wanted to give us an email, boys, we've never given the email address, have we? We've got, got an email address. We have got an email address now. It's SabrinaTeenageWatch at gmail.com if you want to drop us an email. Um, if there's anything loosely based around Sabrina that you'd like us to uh, get involved with, then yeah, drop us an email, drop us a tweet, just or just Facebook us. Do anything you would like. We're easy to get hold of and we're on, uh, we're on social media an awful lot. Thank you very much to my colleague to the left, Mr. Graham Riley. It's been a thing that happened. (laughs) And thank you to my colleague to the right, Chris Evans. I need a whiskey. Mm. Indeed. Well, there's only one way to sign off this episode. Boys, raise your bows to the sky. 
Vamos! Vamos!